I have a question this morning for you. Now, I want you to open your worship. No, don't open it. Turn to the back of your worship guide. Just wave them at me if you got one when you came in, okay? Wave them, okay. All right, turn it to the back. I want you to write this down. This is a great question. This question might change your life. What is the most important day of your life? You know, and I wouldn't say this is the most important, but it's incredibly significant. And it might have been the most important. I, I think the most important, I know for me, was placing my faith, coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And hopefully you'd say, man, that was the most important. But outside of that, what was the most important day? Some of you go, man, it had to be when I got married. Man, that was an incredible day. Some of you go, no, it was when we had our first child or our last child. That was the most important. Or somebody might say, no, it, it had to be when I graduated high school because somebody thought I'd get out. Or no, it must have been when I graduated college or whenever I did this. But it was just, and there's something about those important days. Have you ever noticed, like as a pastor, I do premarital counseling. So to get married, you have to go through classes. You have to go through counseling sessions to be able to do that. Uh, when you're going to have a baby, uh, they recommend that you go through classes there at the hospital. And it's really incredibly helpful. At least that's what they told me. And, and then I remember when my wife said, this is not helping, when I said, we're going to do hee-hee breathing. And, you know, I'm going to help you through this. Yeah, and she goes, you're not having the baby. But, but I think it was helpful. Uh, and then when you, when you graduate from some school, I mean, there's a lot of preparation in that. You, you have to do a lot of work to get there. Uh, this morning I just met uh, a, a new couple. Uh, uh, they're on the way to Virginia with the United States Air Force, and he's about to graduate ACSC. We've had so many of those over the years come through here. So, you know, they, they've spent this year here in Montgomery in intense, rigorous study and all the other schools in the Air Force, so we're grateful for them. But here's what I'd say. Zephaniah, so oh, did I tell you we're going to preach on, I'm going to preach on Zephaniah for the next several weeks? So what I want you to do is I, I want you to try to find it. That is absolute uh, a, a treat in its own. It's about somewhere around 836, 846 in your Bible. That might help you. And uh, Although all the Bibles are different. And, but, but, but as you look there, you'll, you'll find this character, and his name is Zephaniah. And, and he... Uh, he, he's, a, he's a prophet. He's one of the uh, minor prophets. And I can honestly say I, I've never preached on this book, never done a series on this, but I thought, hey, we'll tackle this in these days. And he says, there's a day that you would be foolish not to make preparation for. And he will speak about this day a lot in his chapter. Uh, there's three chapters. There's 53 verses, so it's not a very long book. And there's other books that run parallel and, and do study with this, 2 Kings and Chronicles. And you look at some of the other minor prophets and what they do. But they, they just, they, these minor prophets, they're real good about speaking for the Lord and they pronounce judgment. So a lot of times, I'm not sure Zephaniah and some of these prophets of that day had a lot of friends because like, they, they would speak these woes and this tough. And here he speaks about the nation of Israel, of Judah, and the impending judgment that's going to come. But the, the good thing is here, and then he talks about the day of the Lord, and I'm going to talk about the day of the Lord a lot. And then he talks about, the, and it alludes to the second coming of Christ. But it's a very prophetic book. It's, it's important that we read it. Uh, how many think it's important that we probably should read the entire Bible? You, you got any takers? And yet, you probably said, I, don't even th I, I was talking to some people this week. I was talking to a pastor friend, and a very scholarly guy, and he goes, you know, he says, I don't even remember the last time I read Zephaniah. I said, well, good, you're, you're a lot of help. Because I was trying to ask him some theological questions and we were, as I was working through this this past week, but he was like, no help. So here, here we go. So Zephaniah comes to this point that he shares these intense images of God's justice 
and God's love. Somewhere on your notes today, if you almost forget everything I say, just write God's justice and his love. Write that across your worship guide somewhere. Because those are two uh, foundational words that we need in this series that will speak to the heart of God. And because God uh, talks here through this prophet Zephaniah that the day of the Lord is near, it's coming. And he will judge the nations with a burning fire, and that fire will consume them, but that fire also will purify them. So it's very historical in context, and it gets into another setting, but it's about purification. How many believe that God's word is to purify us as believers, as followers of Jesus? Everybody believe that? And that, that's when we have the word. We, so we know what God's heart is, what, what God desires. So Zephaniah is the eighth minor prophet in chronological order, and he has incredible significance. There's Matter of fact, the, the section I'm most excited about is the good news, but to get to the good news, you've got to have the wrath and you've got to have the judgment, so you've got to get there. But, but I know this, God must have thought Zephaniah was important because he included it in the scriptures and the church said, and yet it's probably the most unread, most neg- well, probably the most unread books, Leviticus, but it's one of the most neglected books of the scriptures that we don't read. And he talks about this day of the Lord, and it's a stern message from this prophet about the kingdom of God and how we need it. I, I know some of you came in this morning and you looked on and you went, oh my goodness, is, is he taking a seminary refresher course? <laughs> what, why has he got so much? I, I remember giving this to Cheryl before she took off for the Vatican for Rome with her daughter this week, and she goes, could you get any more notes on here for me? I said, use a little smaller font. We, I, I gotta get them in there. And if you notice, I'm, I wasn't real big on blanks today. I'm just gonna try to outline this, kind of an overview and we'll do some of chapter 1, then chapter 2, and chapter 3. And like I said, it's only 53 verses. But look right here at the top. I want you to fill this in because you need to have this for your notes. Zephaniah means the Lord hides. The Lord hides, the Lord protects, the Lord treasures. Now, I, I, I like those terms. And maybe you could write them in your blank, and maybe you could even circle them. And even this morning on the way over, I was listening to some song, and it was talking about God is a warrior. And for me because I've spent so much time immersed in Zephaniah this week, I felt like the Father was singing and loving me this morning to tell me that I will fight for you. And I will fight for your congregation. And I will fight for the people of God. How many of you are glad that our God is a warrior? He's a warrior king. You know, we talked about a triumphant, triumphant victorious, conquering living hope king all last weekend and today we look at this almost militant god but he, he's a conquering he's he's a warrior you know it's one of the things that i even do it in my prayers in the morning as i walk i talk about god i want to be a warrior for you i want to be a worshiper and that's what we do here is we gather corporately and lord i want to be a living witness and i pray that you'd make that part of who you are so the key phrase here it is it's right there in the middle of your page there's no trick question it's in red the key f- the key, the key phrase is, oh, come on, come on. I, I know we don't have hundreds here today, but go ahead. The key phrase is, day of the Lord. Man, that's critical. And so we'll talk about this in and out over the next couple weeks, and hopefully it'll make more and more sense to you, because at least 32 times in Scripture, God alludes or he speaks to the day of the Lord. And just this little short book of 53 verses, Seven times Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord. And then I gave you all these notes, and I'm not going to read all these verses to you. Those are for your own personal uh, enjoyment and study and reference, so it'll give you a lot to do. But then 
it, we're going to stay in chapter 2, but I'll go with the, uh, or in chapter 1, but I'll go to chapter 2 just a little bit. Look right there. I, I thought it was important. I put it right in the middle of your page. Chapter 2, verse 3. Now, look there on the worship guide with me and read it with me. Would you do that? You can stay seated. I want to make you stand today. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's great anger. Now, that is a pivotal verse, and it, as I'm talking about trying to unpack this little fiery prophet, I want to give, give you something that I'd heard about years ago, and somebody reminded me of it this week, and I started to put it up here on the screen for you, and I just didn't do it. Maybe I should have, but it's a great tool. I'm going to give you a tool. How many would like a tool that will help you with any book that you read in Scripture? Would, would anybody be interested in that? And how many of you, if I told you I could get it to your phone or I could get it to your computer, how many would like, I really like that? Now, before I tell you, how many of you promised to me you will not go there right now and tune me out the rest of the message? No, you're supposed to raise your hands. How many of you? You see, because, now Josh, I, I don't want to catch you back there doing this. Because I will tell you, the animation of what I'm going to tell you about, it is much better than my sermon. It's really good. And it only takes five minutes. And some of you are like, oh, no, why are you taking 30 or 35 minutes if I can get it in five? Because there's a lot of history. There's a lot of insight. But here's, here's what I want to give you because I thought this is really good. It's called thebibleproject.com. And some of you know about it, but it, it just takes the books of the Bible and they animate it and they give you a summary. I mean, how many of you, how many of you when you were going to school, you like summaries? Okay. If, if you're my age or maybe a little younger, definitely if you're older, remember those things called cliff notes? Did anybody ever read those? You're in church, don't lie. Remember those? We would read those because we didn't want to read the book. Did, did, did they even still have cliff notes? I, I bet they went out, didn't they? Because, I mean, you know, in the, what? No, you speak louder. You still have them. Except I had this advanced English class I took in high school, and our teacher knew, I mean, she had like this brilliant mind, and she knew if we'd read Cliff's notes because she would so gear every question around where you you could not read that because if you did you would flag her course and she prodded herself in it and as I graduated I told her I said why did you make it so hard and she just grinned and walked off <laughs> I said I, I didn't really want to read the books that you uh, uh persuaded but she what she was trying to tell me is because I'm trying to get you ready for college and and I still remember do, have you ever had a teacher that you had to go back and repent to Somebody said, yeah, I probably did, but I didn't. I still remember, I gave her a hard time every single day. That was my ambition in life, was to bother my 12th grade English teacher. And uh, I, had, I had a rather good time doing it. And I remember I'd become a Christian. I'd been walking with Christ. I was a youth pastor. I had all these teenagers, and some, a lot of them went to her high school. And I remember one day, I thought the Lord said, why don't you go by and see her and apologize to her? And I remember walking in her room. I said, do you remember me? She goes, I can never forget you. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I made that kind of an impression on you. She goes, yeah, but it wasn't positive. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, well, that was not funny. And I said, but I want to tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I'm a pastor today. And I have literally read, at that time, I said, I've read hundreds of books. And she just, her eyes got by the big eye. Really? I don't think you read a book the whole year you were here. And I said, but I want to thank you for being tough because you've made me a better version of who I would have been because of you being tough. And I just appreciate you. Would you forgive me? And she died. I mean, it was just amazing. No, she didn't die. But she, she just, she stood there. That had been a horrible story. Her eyes got about that big. And she just looked at me like, really? Like, who, who does? I said, well, I'm just grateful for you. So anyway, I give her credit. I didn't even give you her name. That's okay. All right, here, look, 
Isn't that a great image? Thank you, Drew. All right, look at this next thing. It's a chart. I think it's going to be a chart. Okay, now, you have no room to write this. So if you bring journals and notebooks and your Bibles, hallelujah. If not, memorize it. Some of you tell me, I'm so cerebral, I don't take notes. Bull. Okay, here we go. All right, here it is. This is just kind of an outline, the day of wrath. You get over here chapter 1, and you go through the quick three chapters. You get the day of wrath, and he tells us, seek the Lord, seek him now. And they get the period of desolation, then you get to the day of deliverance. Now, how many want to go to the day of deliverance, chapter 3? I do, but we can't go there. Okay, and, uh, and he has Judah, and, and then he didn't just talk about Judah and Jerusalem. He talks about the other nations, and then he goes to the remnant, how important that is. And then he has the offer of sin. Well, he didn't have the offer, but we choose sin. And then it goes all the way to salvation, and then you have the day of wrath, and then you have the celestial, celebrative day of joy. So this book, this book is hope-filled in a sense. It, it, you know what? I would say one of the themes of Zephaniah is it's a severe mercy of God. It's, it appears that it's a severe wrath of God, and that is a part of it. It's a, the judgment of God. But God always seems to culminate with good news that God offers reconciliation. He offers redemption. He offers forgiveness. He offers grace in Jesus Christ. Are you grateful for that this morning? I am. So Zephaniah just kind of outlines that for us in, in kind of a beautiful way, and we'll keep going. So the purpose, uh, I think one of the purposes of this book is for revival, for renewal. God wants to revive us as the children of God, as the children, as we walk with him. He wants to renew us. And the purpose is God, we want to make God famous. God is the famous one of heaven. God is the renowned one. It is not man. So many times in our world, especially in the world of social media, and you can see every preacher and all this, and some of them have superstar celebrity status and Learjets and multi-million dollar mansions and all this, and we'll let God sort out what he thinks about all that. But, but, but here's the end of the day. But the goal has never been to make man famous. The goal of God has always been to make his son to make him famous, and the church said. And Zephaniah had a great, great grandfather. Do you know who, what his name was? Hezekiah. And turn now to Hezekiah 2.6. It's not in there. That was a trick question. You're saying, that, that was not fair. It sounds like Zephaniah. How many think Hezekiah sounds like it ought to be in Scripture? Okay, you're not listening. But it does. But he's not. He's, he's, uh, he's a great-great-grandfather here of Josiah. And he, he brings, he has a, a 29-year reign in Judah. He's a very popular king. And he brings about spiritual reform, spiritual renewal. He brings about these great things to the people. He even took a, a bronze serpent one time that Moses had lifted up, had held up in the wilderness as a symbol of health, a, a symbol of healing. But what happened was the people, they, they were so quick to begin to do what with it? to cheapen it, to prostitute it, to worship it. And they began to worship it. So this great king, because he loved God, he broke it into pieces because he didn't want any graven, false images, idols. And today we go, oh, okay, he's going to talk about this idol thing. We don't have any idols. We don't have any little bells or any uh, Buddhas or anything in our church. We don't. But how many think idols are still very much alive in 2019 as they were in the days of Scripture? We do. And I could give you a list of idols that I think we have in this room that maybe you have in your heart, but I'll let you and the Holy Spirit work through those. But, so Hezekiah, so he, he, he dies, and after his great 
ruling, things go in rapid decline. They get really bad. And there's this new guy that comes on the throne, and he serves for some 55 years. Y you know, sometimes we get a president four years, eight years. How would you like to have a president for 55 years? Some of you are like, oh, I'd like that. I don't know. Anyway, so he reigns. And King Manasseh was a wicked king. Horrible king, not, not good at all. Evil. He brought Judah down quickly. And, that, and that's what bad leadership does. And, and then he's followed by a brief two-year run of his son named Ammon. He, he's a king. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he had a son, and his son's name was Josiah. And every time I've read and studied this over the decades, I'm still amazed. I mean, I, this morning, if we walked over there and we said, I want to show you the eight-year-olds at Christ Community Church. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. How many of you go, uh, I mean, that, that man, that, that just sounds scary. And so he kind of had to get, uh, you know, mentored or whatever, but he was the king. He did have the authority. And he's got, as he got older, he began to bring reform and renewal to the kingdom. He, he was a, a holy man. He was a godly man. He, he, he did the right things. And Zephaniah talks about him. Just look here in Zephaniah chapter 1. The Lord gave his message to Zephaniah when Josiah, the son of Ammon, was king of Judah. Zephaniah was the son of Cushai, son of Jedelah, son of Amariah, and son of Hezekiah. And now you're going, wow, that's a lot of eyes. Okay, and then verse 2. And I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky, the fish in the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. And I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. And I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist and destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will put an end to all the idolatrous priests so that even the memory of them will disappear. Now, I've only read four verses. How many people have already gotten depressed as I have? I've read this over and over, and you're going, man, this is probably not going to be the verse that I'm going to uh, crochet on my pillow. This is probably not the, the memory verse that I'm going to share with all my friends. But God's trying to get our attention. And what I want you to do is, Hezekiah here is like a third cousin or whatever removed or something. But just write down in the side, you can go back later, 2 Kings 22, 23, 34, and 35, and 2 Chronicles, these begin to parallel here about the rule here of Hezekiah, of, of Josiah. And I know some of you are going, man, you're giving me way too much history. Some of you are like, man, I like this. It, this, is, this is what I've been longing for. This is what I'm crying out for. But there's this spiritual movement here. And there's spiritual movement under Josiah because he, he, he's a good guy. And, but the thing is, I think what it is, it's an outward religion. It's a, a veneer. There's not really anything in the heart much. So it's a shallow movement of God that really doesn't last. But Zephaniah, the prophet, sees below the surface what's really there. In, in modern day world, in the last several decades, we'd have the United States, we'd have Great Britain, we'd have other countries, and they saw spiritual reforms and revivals in their land under great uh, reformists, over great revivalists, Wesley, Wilberforce, Knox, Spurgeon, on and on and on. But today, if you go into those parts of the world, many of those churches have been replaced by mosques and they have begun to pay worship to Allah, not to Jehovah, not to the Father, not to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you sad? 
And I, I can remember being in England a couple times and seeing a lot of the Wesley movement, and I saw these ph phenomenal cathedrals, and I know girls, so they make great places for weddings, right? Okay, but they used to be places of really astute, powerful worship, and today they're more museum in nature. Here's, here's the scary part. It seems that it's crossed the ocean, and we seem to be making more museums and more of our churches across America are dying and closing. I talked to some denominational leaders, and they say in their own denominations, they will close a number of churches in 2019. And there are some churches that are opening, but there are other churches that are closing because I think people have gotten off the focus of God and making him famous, of trying to make man famous. But here, here's what I, I just want you to hear over and over. But there's a great theme that runs through this book or culminates, it's the theme of mercy. How many of you love mercy? We all do. And God extends mercy to us in his love and grace. And he wants us to extend mercy to others. So Zephyr, Zephaniah uh, is all about this severe mercy, but the day of the Lord, and he just talks about it over and over. And, he, and as we read about consuming everything, and everything gets laid bare, and he stretches out his hand against Judah. I mean, it's just a tough situation. Now, look here. Move down to verse 5. For they go up to their roofs, and they bow down to the sun and the moon and the stars. Do you think that's honoring to God? No. They've already taken their focus off the true God, and, and they begin to worship other things. So in our modern day, we, here's what happens. I read a thing the other day that said that some $500 million a year is spent on astrology, astrologers, zodiac signs, all these different mediums, false ones, false, not of God, to try to get direction and guidance in our life. But we have the true guide, the true North Star, and his name is Jesus. But it's just amazing how popular that is in our world. But, but, but move, move with me. I want you to see this. They claim to follow the Lord. So they got into this mixed worship. Some of them would say, yeah, we love God. We love Jehovah. But we also love these gods of the plants or, or, or fertility or we love the God of whatever. But then, look at it. it. It's really sad. And then they say, but then they worship Moloch too. And I will destroy those who used to worship me but now no longer do. They no longer ask for the Lord's guidance. They only seek my blessings. And in this particular one, this Moloch, when they worship him, that worship is so depraved. That, that worship is so bad. That worship is so evil that they heat up the arms of the little god Moloch and his arms stretched out, and they would sacrifice children to this false god. Babies. Babies would lose their life. If, if you read the scriptures, I think Leviticus talks about this is prohibited. God is against this. And they would have the sound. Now, how many of you are grateful for Jimmy? I love Jimmy, man. This morning he sounded great on drums. Great job, Jimmy. But they would take drums in that day as I was studying this, and they would, they would have the drums really loud to try to have greater noise than the cries of the children that were being sacrificed. I mean, it's just, it's just wickedness. And you're like, wow, man, I never knew all this about the Old Testament, that all this story is in there. But here, here's what I know. And then this prophet says, but I want you to denounce, I want you to turn from false, idolatrous worship. And I want you to write down this thought. This is, this, this is key. You need to hear this today. But God has put a vacuum in our heart that can only be filled with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are created to worship him god puts a drive in our hearts 
He sets eternity, Ecclesiastes says, in the hearts of man that we might be driven to worship. And that's always been what God has for us. And this morning, as you've come once again, and as you come so often, and when you're not on the road or traveling, I'm so grateful for you. I just encourage you to continue to invite your friends, and, and let's grow together, and let's see them being far from Christ, coming near to Christ. But in the midst of that, there was all this falseness going on. You know who's behind that? I think it's Satan himself. He's got a PhD in deception. He's masquerading, Corinthians says, as an angel of light. And he's trying to confuse the people. And he does a great job there. And it's just, it's just sad as we look at that. So the, the, the price tag here, it, it, it's, it, it's rough. Now look at verse, uh, move on down. So this is a no longer ask for the Lord's guidance. They only seek my blessings. In verse 7, stand in silence in the presence of the sovereign Lord for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment is near. The Lord has prepared his people for a great slaughter. He's chosen their executioners. On that day of judgment, says the Lord, verse 8, I will punish the leaders and princes of Judah, Judah and all those who follow pagan customs. Yes, I will punish those who participate in pagan worship ceremonies and those who fill their master houses with violence and deceit. And on that day, says the Lord, a cry of alarm will come from the fish gate. From the fish gate here, friend. And echo throughout the new quarter of the city, and a great crash will sound from the hills. Well and sorrow, all you live in the market area, for all the merchants and traders will be destroyed. You see, you, you just see this impending gloom and, and devastation and rough. And it says, And I will search with lanterns in the Jerusalem's darkest corners and punish those who sit complacent in their sins. Let's stop right there. I just found that section, I've read this several times, not like I have the Gospels. And, 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 and that just jumped off. If you have your Bible, I would probably draw a circle around that. They sit complacent in their sins. I think that's the word for our church today. I think that's the word for believers. If, if we're not careful, we, we tend to do what? To, to go into, um, in, into this place where we're just satisfied, but not with Him. And God wants to satisfy our hearts this morning is, is, is I think about this. Like, Lord, help us to see what you have. In Judah, there's southern Israel. That's who Judah is. It was so influenced by pagan worship. Now, listen to me carefully. We, we read there and we go, man, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit as we do. They did not. Holy Spirit would come on and off of people. They didn't have the, the full canonization. They didn't have the full Bible as we have. They didn't have all the things we have. They did not that they were driven away by their own evil desires and sin and pagan. But you know what? If we're not careful, we, we begin to chase pagan worship. And God says, but repent. Repent and, and find my mercy for the day of the Lord. But listen to this. I'll probably say it next weekend again. i got to say again. When we say the day of the Lord, it's not like I can just define it and say it's one 24-hour period of time. It, it's, a, it's a more extensive unfolding the judgment of God on the world. And this is what the scripture talks about and what this prophet Zephaniah wants to tell us, that it's coming, this day of the Lord, that's going to be a tough time. And, and, and here, historically, he's saying, hey, the Babylonian invasion is near. It's coming. It's coming. And eventually, it gets, you know, that area gets wiped out, gets destroyed, and then God rebuilds it. And then God talks about, uh, of course, it gets to the millennial of Christ, and I'll talk about the great signs of the end times probably next weekend but i just want you to hear in this day of the lord thing i want you to begin to study about it and then these false gods always remember this one over in first uh, samuel and it, it was a statute and it was the god called dagon d-a-g-o-n 
And it was one that the people would worship and, and he, he would fall over in the temple of Dagon and they would go and they, and they would stand him back up and he'd fall over and they go in one day to worship him. He, I mean, he has no power. And they go in there to worship him and he's fallen over and his arms have fallen off. I mean, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. And, uh, but it just tells me nobody can stand before the true God. There is one God and we know him in Jesus Christ. Are you grateful? Do you have praise in your heart this morning for that? And we can worship him. We don't have to go. Well, he's an unknown God. Paul talked about that in his letter. That's another talk for another day. And Paul says, but I can tell you about that God. And his name is Jesus. It's the great one that we just resurrect, or we didn't resurrect it, resurrected for us, the one that we worshiped last weekend with billions of believers across the world. So, and, and then, here, let, let's just keep going. I, there's so much here. So the echo through the new court of the city, a great crash will sound from the hills. Verse 10, verse 11, well and sar, all who live in the market area for the merchants and traders will be destroyed. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem's darkest corners, punish the sick complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. When it says they think he'll do nothing good or bad, have you ever heard the term deist? Have you ever heard the, the term watchmaker God? I remember when I was in seminary, we talked about this. Some people have a watchmaker God mentality. They think God wound the clock up, and he took his hands off and said, that's it. And whatever it is, is. And I believe that God is actively involved and intervenes in our life. How many believe that with me? Yeah. And he's not some deist God that just like he just set an emotion and he just watches. I mean, he deeply loves us. He deeply cares for us. He deeply pursues us. He runs after us. Here's the theme. The whole series is around a thought. Warrior, king, he wars for us in the heavenlies. I've told you this, but I'll tell you again. Jesus is our chief priest. Jesus is our advocate right now in heaven, interceding right now for this boy. And boy, do I need it. And he's interceding for you. Are you grateful that Jesus Christ intercedes for you this morning? I am. And he's a warrior for the ages, for eternity. And there's this cry of alarm. And so move on with me. So Verse 13, so their property will be plundered, their homes will be ransacked, they will build new homes, they'll never live in them, they will plant vineyards, but never drink wine from them. And then verse 14, move there, that terrible day of the Lord is near, swiftly it comes, a day of bitter, bitter tears. Man, this, this, this is rough. A day when strong men will cry out, it will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out, a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds, a day of blackness a day of trumpet calls and battle cries down go the wall cities and the strongest battlements man you just see annihilation you see destruction you're whoa in verse 17 because you have sinned against the lord i'll make you grope around like the blind your blood will be poured into the dust your bodies will lie riding on the ground your silver and gold will not save you oh my goodness is that a message to america your silver and gold your riches will not redeem you your silver and gold it's good and we are blessed by our silver and gold and it blesses the church and it blesses our outreach and god definitely uses this but when we worship that when we make that an idol god says i don't care how much of that you got that ain't going to save you. Oh, you're like, man, pastor, I, I never knew this was in there. For the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. There's that jealous God. We used to sing that along a lot around here about he, he's, je he's jealous for me. God is jealous for us. He's jealous for his glory. He will make a terrifying end of all the people on the earth. And, and, and earlier, 
these, uh, these, these pagan worshipers, and they were extremely superstitious, and uh, they dared to walk on the threshold of the temple. They dared to walk on a crack. And then it made sense to me. It never made sense when I used to hear this as a little kid. And to this day, it even, you, you know, y'all, y'all know I'm a walker. Like I walk six days a week. I'm an avid walker. I've got more miles on my shoes. I wear out shoes walking. And because I walk so much, I'm on sidewalks. Do you know how many cracks I have passed walking? You know how many cracks are just from one house to the next? And I, and I heard this and, and it made sense to me. Step on the crack and you break your mother's back. Nobody ever heard of that before? And it was a superstition that really came out of this bell, this false worship. But you know what? I love Jesus. I love the gospel. I pray for you. I talk to the Lord. My walks are spiritual times. But somehow the Lord showed me this week, in the middle of all my worship and my best, it's weird. Maybe I'm OCD. I don't know. You're saying, you just now found that out? Here it is. I'm walking. I'm going to get you to do something. I'm walking. I mean, I walk all the time. There's a crack. I don't know what's in me. I, I was taught this. And I do my best to do this. How many of you step over cracks all the time when you're walking? The rest of you are lying. No, I mean, but you know, sometimes I go, I know, I, I don't want you to think I need medicine or anything. Sometimes I'm walking and I go, I'm going to step right on the middle of that one. Hallelujah, you know, I'm free. And after discovering this truth, I realize so many things that we believe or the, these wise tales get in, they're just, sometimes they're just little pagan rituals that kind of sneak in there. Some of you are like, well, you got way too excited about cracks on the sidewalk. I don't really care. Well, they, it, it, for them, it was in the temple. They, they couldn't walk directly over it. So God says, I have a cry of alarm over you. And God cries for us, and he's for us, and he fights for us. But here's what I'd say out of this first chapter, because I, I could go on and on. I, I've studied hours and hours, and it's so rich. But the people became crusty. They became hardened. They became complacent. And I think maybe that speaks to us this morning. Have we got crusty to the things of Christ? Are we hardened to the things of God? Look there in the middle of the page. I've just given you kind of a quick outline. The coming destruction of the day of the Lord, the interlude of hope, the destruction of the nations, the return of hope. Or I could have said God will judge Judah, chapter 1, verses uh, chapter 1, verses through 2, 3. Or I could have said chapter 2, verses 4, or chapter 2, verse 4 through about 3, 7. God will judge the nations. And the last part, which is my favorite, chapter 3, verses 8 through 20. God will restore his people. God is about mercy. And we will really discover the joy of the Lord in this last installment of this series. You don't want to miss it. But I, I hope you'll, you'll stay here for the whole thing. You, you'll be with us and that you'll realize that, God, I need you. That sometimes my heart just goes astray. Sometimes I just find, or maybe all the time, my heart's dirty. I need to be cleansed. The, the, the Scripture would give the verse, wash me whiter than snow, would say the psalmist David. Lord Jesus, wash our hearts, purify us. Where he says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. I love that we're New Testament believers. God does not take the Holy Spirit from believers. Amen? Wait a minute. Amen? We are sealed. We are marked with the Holy Spirit. But listen, 
we can seriously grieve the Holy Spirit. We can impact the work and the power and the flow of the Holy Spirit by grieving God and sinning against God. But we have the Holy Spirit, which just means He's working double time when we're in sin. He's trying to restore us. He's trying to get us back on the right path. It's just a beautiful thing here. So here's all this gloominess and, 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 and tough things. And, and I could have taken you to Revelation today. I could talk about the seven seals and the end times. And, and so over next week, I'll begin to weave more maybe into this last days of judgments. I'll go through the rapture all the way through different things. I'll just try to dig and unpack more of that for you. But I just wanted us to take just about three weeks here, just that we would look in the overview of a little prophet that's significant to God, a book that we probably would not read. I will probably never preach another message on Zephaniah, and the church said, okay, good answer. If y'all said amen, but boy, I'm really doing good. I tried to talk myself out of this message at 1.30 this morning. Yeah, that's the kind of night I've had. I love to preach. Last weekend, I was singing with the angels. I sounded like April in my shower. Okay. But here, I don't know, I sound like a goat. Okay. But this message, like, God, I can't preach that. Huh, huh. And he's like, no, you're staying to it. So I'm just going to stop right there. I'm going to ask Caitlin and the team to come forward because I could, I could go for another hour and you're going, thank you, Jesus, that you're not. But I hope that there's something the Lord would begin to deal with you this morning and just begin to study this. Begin to, it's only 53 verses. Read the book of Zephaniah this week. You come back and we'll pick up at chapter 2 next weekend together. This is some powerful stuff. But this whole day of the Lord and the end time and the, the, the second coming of Christ, and, 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 and I'll try to unpack that even more and more and more with us next weekend. But, I, but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm remiss that I didn't have it on the slide. I didn't put it in the worship guide. Thursday is the national day of prayer, and I'm an intercessor, and many of you are, and I wanted to remind you that Thursday is when our nation pays great credence to our God, and groups all across America, Christians and Christians of other churches and people will gather in various places. We have a citywide prayer breakfast. Uh, It'll be the Performing Arts Center. You Call me this week if you'd like to go. You have to buy a ticket, and it'll be a gathering. I've been to many of those. We've done those. It's just when, when Christians gather together to call on the name of the Lord. How many of you think we should gather more as Christians to call on the name of the Lord? Amen. And Adam spoke about today, please don't leave your worship guides behind. Take them with you. And you see that seminar, that event that says forgiveness is a choice. One of our things that our leadership team decided was we were in a 5-2-1, that's a planning thing we do. We said we wanted to be a church of reconciliation for the races. I think God wants to strategically use this event. Landmark is one of our partner people that we've done marriage and parenting conferences with, and they've invited us to come, and I think it'll be a great night. Uh, and and you, don't have to, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work in the nursery. You don't have to sing. You don't have to play an instrument. All you got to do is go and have an open heart. So let's just do that together. Hey, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me, and we'll get ready to close in a great, powerful song this morning. Lord God, we want to worship you, and worship is universal. Worship is for all the ages. Worship is for the nations. The name of the Lord is great among the people. Lord, I pray that your name would be great here in this place. It would be great in our hearts. It would be great in our city, in our nation, and across the globe that we would bow our knee to Jesus. 
Lord, I thank you that you are hope for the future, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you can completely destroy and wipe out, as we read here, but you can completely restore and heal and resurrect and lift up. God, you are powerful. Lord, there is none like you. How we need you, Jesus Christ. Lord, we look to you. Lord, we pray that we would draw closer to Jesus this week. Give us a hunger for your word today, Father. Lord, thank you for our faith family. We pray for the sick. We pray for the oppressed. We pray for our widows. We pray for greater grace in this place. Jesus, we need you. Turn our hearts to you. In the name of Christ, God's people gathered and said, Amen. Hey, would you do this? Would, would you stand with me? And as you stand, we're going to sing one closing song. And when we come to the end of this song, our service will be over. And I, I encourage you once again.